welcome to the Spiritual Awakenings podcast. I'm David Lorimer, co-editor of a new book, Spiritual Awakenings, Scientists and Academics Describe Their Experiences. It's published by the Academy for the Advancement of Post-Materialist Sciences and is available in paperback and Kindle editions. In this series of weekly podcasts, we'll be sharing the 57 original essays together with introductions and epilogue from my co-editor, Professor Marjorie Willicott. We hope you enjoy them. Awake Presence Dr. Athena Despina Potari There is that one moment in my spiritual journey thus far, which I can call the moment of awakening. Although, as an Indian sage notes, the spontaneous is preceded by a long process of ripening. Leading up to this awakening was a deep existential realization that nothing external could ever give me the deep, lasting happiness and feeling of oneness for which I longed. I was on the path of self-exploration already for seven years. I had been studying spiritual teachings and practicing meditation diligently for endless hours every day. I had tasted powerful and deeply transformative spiritual experiences and expanded states of consciousness. However, their effect would only last for days, at best weeks, and then again, a feeling of an existential lack would again appear inside, as if there was still something missing. The days leading up to the awakening on that summer evening in Athens, however, I had come to experience that this seeking itself was an illusion. For a few weeks, I had been feeling completely fed up with the futility of impermanence and the ever-changing conditions of life, the ups and downs, the fragility of happiness when that depends upon those. That night, alas, I gave up. I wanted nothing else anymore. My desires all appeared as illusionary efforts. I wanted to taste the truth of my existence. I wanted to access that unwavering wholeness that all spiritual teachers since antiquity describe. I wanted to know God right here, right now. I found no other desire to search anymore and even live if I were to continue this hamster wheel at the whims of impermanence. That night, I felt that decision deep in my soul. It's all or nothing. Even if that meant leaving my body, I didn't care. I had come to the end of seeking. That evening, we had gathered with my Sangha, i.e. group of fellow spiritual practitioners, in our meditation hall in Athens. The collective energy was vibrant and blossoming. During the practice, I let myself sink into my decision. During meditation, 
One may experience deep states of absorption where sometimes it feels like the body is drifting away. That experience can be frightening and thus there is often resistance to letting go. But that evening, I did not care anymore. I allowed myself to let go completely into a deep absorption state which felt like I was literally dying. Everything stopped. My entire body numbed. I could not move. My thoughts stopped. I fell into an abyss that felt like death and life at the same time. Truly, no words can describe it. An invisible fire was swallowing me up. I gracefully let go into that swallowing until I was not there. Or rather, there was I, yet not me. After a while, I do not know how long since there was no sense of time, an abyssal sobbing, crying, begun, a lamenting cry coming out of me, so powerful, as if emerging from the depths of time and soul. It was seismic, like the cry of something dying. My mind had dropped. There was no understanding, nor the desire to understand. After a while, I cannot recall duration. It was like I cracked open from the center of my heart and everything opened up. Everything was, is, one. I was not anymore. And I am everything. There was no I. Living consciousness reveals itself as all. All is it. And I am that. The walls, the chairs, the ceiling, my fellow practitioners, the sky, the earth, everything that we believe as alive and not alive, animate and inanimate, the entire scenery we call life and the world revealed itself as one and alive vibrating consciousness waving at itself, waking up to itself, dropping the veil of the cosmic cinema, the drama that covers the divinity and oneness of being. Matter is consciousness. Space is consciousness. Everything is one spirit playing the role of you and I, of it and them, here and there, in a vast, dimensionsless eternity which our mind divides into time, veiling itself through the forgetting that there is only that one being, pure consciousness, alive emptiness, wholeness, apparently dividing into many, appearing as mind and matter, space and time at the same time. What I saw, or rather realized, 
in an indescribable living way is that the entire world, or rather being, is one alive, vibrating, self-knowing consciousness. That quote-unquote experience was not an experience per se, but rather being beyond experiencing, uh, seeing that cannot be described in words as it does not belong within the realm of the mind or knowing, since it is that prior to mind from which mind and understanding emerge and draw their essence. Now I understand why ancient Greek philosophers had called it agnoston, i.e. beyond intellectual knowledge, and alipton, meaning beyond concepts. Hence, ariton, beyond words, ineffable. What for so many years I was reading and vainly tried to grasp with my mind was alive. It was here and now, beyond mind, beyond grasping, understanding or words. The cry soon turned into laughter, the most liberating laughter ever. After dying came a rebirth, a laughter of freedom, ecstatic, exalted, right from the center of my heart. There was no reason for that, but what appeared as utterly comical was the deep sensation that all the searching, all the striving, all the sorrows I had taken so seriously in my life, the story of the character I had mistaken myself to be and whose role I had been playing in the cosmic cinema was all a play. Nothing had ever truly existed. And I was searching with so much angst for what is already here and now, the most self-apparent mystery right in front of our eyes each moment, the very essence of everything. I felt expanded, free, no boundaries. I am vastness itself, a free-flowing spaciousness, all so light and flowing, pure freedom. I remember that moment when I briefly exchanged some words with my fellow practitioners and I was literally experiencing that it was I, Logos, that spoke through each and every one of us. One self playing the role of all of us, speaking to itself through itself by assuming different forms or roles. Like in a puppet theater, there appear to be so many characters on the screen, on the stage, but it is the same artist playing all roles by wearing different puppet gloves. From that moment, everything was new and fresh. I, in the sense of the person I had mistaken myself to be, no longer existed. And yet, it was the first time I felt 
truly alive. A new life begun. All questions dropped. No intellectual explanation can ever give the taste of truth. Of course, the intellect can lead us to the gate of truth, but then one must jump. Intellectual exploration is only a bridge. Hence, one must cross and leap beyond it. Once you cross, you don't need it anymore. Truth is beyond understanding and mind. The dropping of all seeking for answers was such a profound ontological relief for me. But at the same time, it entailed profound implications for my life and especially my career as an academic. On a relational level, experiencing the oneness of being entailed a curious paradox. I am already, ontologically, in the most intimate relationship with everyone, since our being is one and the same. At the same time, it seems odd seeking to form a relationship with another, since essentially there is no other. What is the point of forming special relationships, such as intimate relationships, when I am already whole in myself? Of course, in time, I realized that one can form relationships, which, however, no longer aim at feeling an inner sense of lacking happiness or a sense of separation, but in a new light as a way of celebrating and sharing happiness. Realizing the unity of our being overflowed my heart with so much love for everyone. For the first month, I would greet people, for example, in the street or in shops, with so much warmth and care, feeling connected to them, even though in quote-unquote practical life, they were total strangers. That, as one may expect, was often received as strange, since not everyone was experiencing the same feeling of oneness and love. I had to work through my spontaneity of being so open and loving, since our society operates on the established belief that we owed, or it is appropriate, to be loving and open only with those few close to us and not all beings around us. Societies have us discriminate our offering of love, compassion and kindness according to how well we know another on a level of personality. In reality, should we all recognize the unity of our being, that distinction will appear as a fallacy based on a misinterpretation of our true nature. This awakening also entailed profound implications for my professional life. Realizing that the philosophical knowledge in the ancient Hellenic sense of gnosis, which I was seeking and seeking to serve through my specialization, is not a product of mind, but rather, as Plato indeed had defined, quote, emerging with the ocean of oneness, 
end of quote, I found it hard to continue my career path as before. I saw the way philosophy is approached at various institutions as detached from the way the very thinkers whom we supposedly study define it. Most of the Hellenic tradition approaches philosophy, qua gnosis, as a path of self-liberation and awakening. Despite Hellenic philosophy's own definition of its nature and goals, according to the primary text sources handed down to us, the way numerous modern institutions approach the study of ancient philosophy does not endorse awakening as the goal of our education, nor are there practices towards attaining the goal of philosophy taught and explored at university level. A lot of what was practiced at university felt like merely mind games, projections on the screen of the cave. Most academic studies of philosophy approach it solely on an intellectual, rational, historical level, exploring different arguments and interpretations while leaving out entirely the lived aspect, which is its most essential part, the aspect of cultivating virtues, emotional intelligence, and compassion on a character level. Knowing ourself through self-exploration and the practices of meditation. Practicing the inner work necessary for transforming the knower in order to lead her to the realization of the unity of being, which amounts both to self-liberation and to true gnosis beyond both intellectual and sensory phenomena. And, ultimately, quote, merging with the one, end of quote, as Pythagoras had stated. Following this awakening, it became increasingly hard to continue to approach my area of study and research in a purely mind-oriented way. It felt futile, given the very nature of philosophy and indeed my ontological experience. I wanted to share with everyone around me that philosophy can be approached experientially and what the ancient figures present is indeed possible to attain should we approach it not only in a museum way where we study those texts from afar as something dead but approaching them as a living path of self-exploration, inquiry and awakening. Argumentation and rational exploration are important, but only so long as they are complementary to the lived practices which lead us to an experiential, embodied and self-transformative contact with the essence of what we study. It was quite hard to discuss these matters with my fellow peers at the time. Whenever I tried, I experienced a resistance to this idea, and indeed, sometimes hostility. I often refer to this experience as epistemological discrimination. In an era where we all acknowledge the importance of endorsing diversity and difference, 
for instance, in matters of gender, race, and sexual preferences, there are still residual barriers to showing the same spirit of openness to alternative ontological worldviews and epistemological possibilities. For that reason, the focus of my career took a big shift, which initially was quite hard for me, given how devoted I was to the idea of seeking tenure and a long-term career as a professor at a university. However, in this new light, that prospect felt restrictive and no longer true to the way I now experienced life and knowledge and wished to explore it with others. Therefore, while I continued some of my work in academic institutions, I decided to approach the teaching and research of philosophy beyond academia too. I created a school in Athens where philosophy is open to all and can be learned, taught and practiced in a more lived and experiential way. Accompanied with practices of self-inquiry, meditation, cultivation of virtues, in the ancient sense of the term, and a lived, self-explorative approach for realizing the nature of our being. I hope that, in the near future, as more and more academics share their stories of spiritual exploration and personal spiritual experiences, our academic institutions will become more open to the possibility of exploring alternative ontologies and epistemologies as possible starting points for approaching and practicing knowledge holistically. And note, a year and a half after this awakening experience, I wrote an article named The Light of Hellenism, where I explore those aspects of ancient philosophy in greater detail. The article was initially published in the journal Tarka, issued by Embodied Philosophy, and then republished in Paradigm Explorer by the Galileo Commission. Thanks so much for downloading the Spiritual Awakenings podcast. Do join us for the next episode.